Welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch all 1,808 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean, and I am regretfully here with my co-host, Rob, <laughs> who has cursed us to go through one of the most excruciating experiences. And I apologize, audience, because you have to come with us on this journey through Hades. <laughs> Thankfully, I have my other co-host, Bob, here with me to suffer the pain alongside myself. Rob, we know I'm not doing well. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Normally, I kind of wait to watch these closer to Sunday. We record on Mondays. Uh, But I started watching one of them immediately uh, post-record last week. And then I watched the other one immediately after that. And on... Sunday night, I actually finished the the third film. So I'm a little removed from these films. So maybe I'm not doing quite as bad as you guys, but I'm doing all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, as Robbie alluded to, and as I now have to explain to the audience, this is your last chance to run, listeners. This is your last chance to turn it (laughs) off. We're doing three films this week because last week it was Rob's pick, and we all know that that's a bad sign. We all go into that just... (laughs) girding for pain, just stealing ourselves for the worst possible outcomes. And boy, it was even worse than I could have imagined because Rob pitched three different movies to us. He said, well, we can do the 2001 Disney Channel movie Luck of the Irish, or we can do the 2020 (laughs) Taylor Swift music documentary Folklore, The Long Pond Sessions, or... (laughs) <laughs> we can do John Favreau's 2019 remake of The Lion King. And after Bob and I moaned and wailed at the sky and lamented our existence for a little while, <laughs> I said, well, the only possible option is we got to rip the Band-Aid right off and we're going to do all three of them this week. So listeners, we're going through all three of those movies. Bob, did you survive watching all three of those movies? Um, Barely. Uh, I'm not even joking. I finished the first film and got like violently ill. <laughs> Like, I had an allergic reaction, assumably to the film, where I just was sneezing to the point that my heart hurt, and I, like, barely made it home from all the errands I was running. And then I fell asleep on the couch for a few hours and woke up, barely coherent enough to be like, hey, fuck, now I gotta watch The Lion King. (laughs) Did you watch the middle one, too? Did you watch Folklore, The Long Pond Sessions? I did. I did watch... I watched that one last. um, Okay. Because I figured... If nothing else, I could at least probably, like, fall asleep to that one. Sadly, I didn't. I was awake for, like, all two hours of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's feature-length, people. This is three feature-length films that we're talking about. Good lord. Oh, good lord. Yeah. I'm sorry to ask, but but I got to. How are you doing? Like, I, I know I put this on you, so please don't hate me. 
Rob, I can appreciate a good prank. <laughs> I can appreciate pulling the rug out from under me and making me suffer through three bad movies. Usually I find it a bit amusing and I go, ah, good one, Rob, you got me this time, but next time the joke will be on you. Um, but fuck am I busy recently. <laughs> I'm so busy. <laughs> and I have to watch three fucking bad movies that I did not want to watch. And it was, oh, just piling on top of all the other things I have to do. So, that was me too. I, uh, my band has our first concert coming up, and so we're jamming more than regular. And I knew that, like, I don't have time to do this in an evening during the weeknight. I have to spend my weekend watching all three of these movies. Oh, my God. You watched them all three in a row? <laughs> I had to watch them late. I had to watch them, like, late into the night, like, on my laptop with my headphones on. In bed? <laughs> in bed. My girlfriend asleep and the light's out and me just, like, You're with just the little covers over my head. Luck of the Irish. If, <laughs> watching Luck of the Irish. Like, I'm 10 years old and my parents have told me to go to bed and I have to try to keep it a secret. Um, it was the only way. I'm too busy. I got shit to do, man. So I'm sitting there at 1 in the morning watching these fucking Disney Channel movies. She rolls over and you're like, no, no, don't, don't look what I'm watching. Don't look what I'm watching. <laughs> Try to hide it from her. Would have been less embarrassing if she walked in and caught you watching a porno on your laptop under the covers. Oh, it would have been much less embarrassing. I can only imagine that scenario where it's like, are you looking at porno? Like, no, I was watching a 2001 Disney Channel made from TV movie called Luck of the Irish with nobody in it. Nobody. <laughs> I would stop halfway through. I'd be like, no, I'm watching a 2001 made for... Di Yes. Yes, I'm watching porn. <laughs> Don't ask any follow-up questions. <laughs> we're going to th go through this in order. We're going to do Luck of the Irish first, and then we're going to do Folklore, and then we're going to do John Favreau's 2019 remake of The Lion King. Rob, is there anything you want to say before we start? Uh, give, a, give an explanation. I think you said it in the episode, but perhaps give an explanation of what the fuck was going through your head when okay. you suggested these three. All right. My wife is to blame for luck of the Irish. Oh, sure. Blame it on your wife. I, I, How I'm very sorry. misogynist of you. All right. <laughs> take, take the blame. All right. She had watched this as a kid on the Disney Channel or whatever the hell it was, thought it was terrible and thought it would be funny to suggest it to us. Uh, but she, uh, hadn't really made it clear to me at, at how bad it actually was. And I just saw, oh, luck of the Irish. That was something that she had said to watch. St. Patty's Day's coming up. I'll suggest that. Our track record with Disney Channel films is uh, not good, to say the least. We've watched four now? Five. I've watched five. Yeah. Not all. You guys haven't watched all five. But we have watched uh, the Even Stevens movie, yeah. which we all decided does not qualify as a movie. <laughs> we watched um, Don't Look Under the Bed, which is a bad movie, but... Just by sheerly how low the bar is, is the best Disney Channel oh, yeah. movie that we have watched so far. I mean, For it was sure. the, it was also the only one that had Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, it had Stephen Tobolowski, so that makes it awesome because we love him. And then I also watched the remakes of Freaky Friday, the 2018 remake of Freaky Friday that was yeah. a Disney Channel musical, and the 2016 remake of Adventures in Babysitting, which are somehow worse. You didn't actually finish Adventures in Babysitting, if I recall. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't. I got very close. Yeah. <laughs> you guys told me how it ended. 
High School Musical. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, that is a dis- Sorry, that is another one. We did High School Musical, too. <laughs> did we? We haven't released that one yet, though. So, yeah. spoiler alert, Bob. <laughs> Man, that episode's coming. Spo- spoiler alert. We've only talked about it for the past, like, six weeks. <laughs> it's coming, people. It's gonna be good. Oh, it's gonna be good. Tune in. It's gonna be such a good episode. It was uh, one of our first listener requests, and we were just we denied that listener it. that request repeatedly. <laughs> I want the first one to be good. I picked Folklore because I was like, there's not a chance in hell that Bobby or Sean are gonna suggest to say we watch that one. Uh, I was actually gunning towards watching The Lion King, and I knew you guys were going to pick any of these other shitty films. So I was like, what's something that they're never going to pick? A music documentary by Taylor Swift called Folklore. Uh, 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 folklore, colon, colon the the Long, long pond pond sessions. sessions. Okay. Well, let's start with Luck of Wait, the Irish. Should so we this... do our famous segment? Oh, shit. Yeah, we got to do our famous segment. Did anybody write a review this week? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Yes, we do. We have a review this week. This review comes to brand new listener Dustin, who writes in to say... He has only listened to Enemy Mine. He hasn't finished it because he's usually focused on music from hell with five exclamation marks. I assume that is Taylor Swift's folklore, colon, the Long Pond (laughs) Studio Sessions. Spoiler alert. He goes on to say, anyways, the episode is no Enemy Moan, people. You get all kinds of fun facts. Like, number one, the name of the film. Number two. The director, which is Wolfgang Peterson, question mark? After Das Boots, you made an asexual alien give birth in a Disney film. Well, party on. Number three, (laughs) the year. Not the year of the film, although I'm sure it's mentioned. They mentioned that it's 2023 this year. They say that in the episode. So thank you, Dustin, for letting the listeners know that, yes, we sometimes (laughs) mention temporally what year we are all living in. Number four, there are more people in the podcast than in the movie. That's mostly true. Through most of the movie, there are two people, and then there are a different two people, and there are at least three people in this podcast. So there you go. Um, in Enemy More News, uh, like your puns, Dustin, they discuss Dennis Quaid's presence, because he's in it. He is in the two best films Humankind has to offer, Jaws 3D and Dragonheart. Unfortunately, neither of those are on Disney+, Plus, so we can't get to them, Dustin. I'm sure you will stop tuning in now. <laughs> he is a creature feature kind of Quaid. They will throw many quick quacky Quadian quotes during this quandary. Alliteration. This this review has everything. It has puns. It has alliteration. This is better than the podcast. So, <laughs> enemy mourn no longer. Learn about movies and many more. I want to correct myself there. The exact quotation is learn about movie and many more. So, I'm going to put a little S-I-C sick at the end of that. That's what he said. I'd... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to correct him. He's probably knows what he's talking about. Disney has lots of bad movies. Something Wicked This Way Comes is awesome. I like that plug. It has nothing to do with what you're talking about, Dustin, but uh, we are no strangers to going off on tangents and praising Something Wicked This Way Comes. Do whatever you want. I won't enemy mind. Dustin, I love your review. Please, anybody who wants to contact us, you can go on Facebook onto our The Podcast War Tennis Shoes page and write a review for us there. You 
can email us at the podcast war tennis shoes at gmail.com and send us in a review there. You can go on to the Apple Podcasts app, write a review there. You also get the opportunity to put a little five stars on it. You can do that on the Facebook page as five well. Stars. That helps us out a whole bunch, and we really appreciate everyone that does that. Now, to the hell that is our lives. No, 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 no. I got I got I got one more one more thing to say before we start. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I I had a uh uh, a friend from work said that he recommended our podcast to uh, one of his friends, a guy named Josh. Uh, and uh, this friend decided to reach out directly to me and say that he loves our podcast. Uh, and his friend is going to now listen first to all the movies that he has seen uh, and then go back and start at the beginning and listen to all the other ones. So we have a uh, new fan, uh, but he started with blank check. Um, and now he said he wants to go back and watch Blank Check. So, Josh, if you're listening, don't, don't, don't watch Blank Check. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Please. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. The drummer in my <laughs> band had also noticed we did an episode on Blank Check and had been thinking about rewatching it and then listened to our podcast and said, you know what? No, never mind. I'm not going to rewatch Blank Check. This was a much better use of my time. <laughs> That's why we're here. It's a public service. If yeah. we can reach one person and convince them not to watch Blank Check... I'll consider that a win. So, Josh, instead of watching Blank Check, go on to the Apple Podcast app, give us a five-star review, or send us an email writing about all the ways that we've helped you by having you not watch Blank Check, and we will read that on the podcast. All right? Yeah. On to the ongoing hell that is our lives. <laughs> <sighs> the Luck of the Irish, 2001. What an era. Two terrible things happened that year. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sean? I'm going to leave it there. Sean? <laughs> One of them was the luck of the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so this movie was directed by Paul Hohen. He's kind of a go-to guy for the Disney Channel. He directed all three of the Zombies trilogy. Halloween's coming. We might get around to that. Oh, God, no. Um, not this guy. Please. Uh, it was written by two people. There's a story credit to a writer named Andrew Price, who, to the best of my IMDb knowledge, uh, was a writer on Star Trek Voyager and not much else. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Then it was the screenplay is credited to Mark Edward Edens, who wrote episodes of Reboot, the X-Men animated series, and, drumroll please, Don't Look Under the Bed. So this is the second okay. Mark Edward Edens film that we have watched. Not a big surprise because the framework is almost exactly the same. It starts with a whole bunch of voiceover first-person narration that yep. very quickly disappears. Man, that is his go-to form for writing a screenplay. Uh, yeah. The movie stars Ryan Merriman as Kyle. He's the lead. He's done a lot of television and some movies in the years since. I've seen almost none of them. He's got a very... Um, He's got a Shia LaBeouf vibe to him, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's kind of what Disney Channel was going for at the time, I guess. He was in uh, Final Destination 3. Uh, when I was on his IMDb page, I was looking at photos. I was like, oh, this is the Final Destination. And I had uh, like a split second moment where I thought it was Final Destination 2, the good one. Uh, and then I was like, oh, no, this is the roller coaster one, which is terrible in comparison i haven't seen number three i have seen two which i will always remember just like everyone else in the world because when i'm driving on a highway i stay away from yeah 
trucks that have that are transporting logs, just like everyone else in the yeah. world. Vinyl Destination Two has permanently changed how people drive behind trucks that are transporting logs. Um, yeah. I didn't see Final Destination Three though, so I, I don't think I've seen anything else with this guy in it. It also stars uh, Alexis Lopez, who plays Bonnie Lopez. It stars Marita Garrity as Kyle's mother, Kate, who we might know as Nancy. Yep. Nancy Taylor. Nancy Lincoln Walsh. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> I was short and I sprouted. Um, yeah. Nancy Taylor from Groundhog Day. So that's another go-to for these uh, Disney Channel movies. Apparently, you need a two-scene supporting player from Groundhog Day to take top billing in your movie. <laughs> um, so I was happy to see that because I love Groundhog Day. I'm waiting for uh, what's-his-name to show up. Bill Murray? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray to show up in one of these. That would be so good. Uh, he just yeah. wanders on. Um, what's his name? Brian Murray. <laughs> Not Brian Murray, although that's much more likely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. Six, Six more, more weeks, weeks of winner. winner. <laughs> this is great. I don't even have to see Groundhog Day. You guys will just reenact the whole film for me. Wait, have you never seen Groundhog Day? I have never seen Groundhog Day. Oh, it's such a good Holy movie. Holy shit. I thought you were going to say um, um, the guy who plays Zod. Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon's in Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah. He's, um, he's the, he's the, the guy, fiance the, who gets the, the wrestling tickets. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. None of this is going in the episode. Let's just stop Ducommon. and keep going. Ducommon. Whatever Ducommon. his name is. Mike Ducommon. Ducommon. Okay, it also it also stars uh, Timothy Amundsen as Seamus McTiernan and Henry Gibson as Riley O'Reilly. Henry Gibson, you might know from Laugh-In. He also had a supporting role in The Burbs and The Blues Brothers. I mean, like everything else, the movie was shot in Utah and it just takes place in Utah and everything looks I like Utah. I was going to say, did, uh, did they film in the same place as Don't Look Under the Bed and High School Musical? And High School Musical. Every Disney Channel movie is shot in Utah. Okay. That's just where okay. they have their team. Rob, how does this movie start? A heritage day pageants, I'll call it. Um, and there's a bunch of people who are from different cultures and they're doing something from their heritage. They're doing a dance or a song or something like that. Our lead character uh, turns into a nightmare uh, because he's getting called up to the stage to, uh, you know, do something from his heritage. And it turns out that he's about two inches tall. Uh, and is about to be stepped on by, uh, the female lead in this show, uh, Lopez. What's her first name? Bonnie Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. And he wakes up in a, in a fright. Bobby, what did you think about this opening dream sequence? There's like a dude wearing like a big sombrero. And I was just yep. like, yep. You, Cause you had texted, cause you watched this movie before all of us, cause you are the first yeah. one to dip your toes in the water. And your review of the film was, wow, it's a good thing America solved racism or the end of this movie would be a big problem. And when like the first <laughs> thing I was drawn to in the film was like the dude in the giant sombrero, I was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm in uh -huh. for. Yeah. So. <sighs> I don't know the best time to talk about this because there's different, I guess, layers to unpack in this film. There's um, no good time to talk about Luck of the Irish, so just okay. get to it. Yeah. So there. So this this film is incredibly problematic, in my opinion. And in my opinion, <laughs> I would describe it as racist in a lot yeah. of ways. However, I believe that the people making this film thought they were making an anti-racism film. Yes. I think that there were good intentions going into this, and I think to a large extent, this film is an example of the toxicity of good intentions. 
um, of trying to smile away systemic problems in society. And there are some things in this movie that I think, because there are good intentions behind them in different contexts, wouldn't be so problematic. And this opening scene, I think, is one of them. It's a folk festival heritage festival. Yeah. Everyone is dressed up as stereotypes, but to some extent, that's what you do at a heritage festival. As much as I want to, though, say, well, you know, you can maybe look at this introductory scene where everyone's wearing these stereotypical sombreros and all they're all dressed up like their ethnic culture stereotypes as as maybe there's a positive way of looking at this. The rest of the movie doesn't really ever pay that off. And in fact, <laughs> no. goes way off a fucking cliff. And so... Yeah, 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 yeah. They very quickly throw away any goodwill you would give them. I was said, oh, good, they're not making fun of them, because I honestly thought that they were going to just, like, start making jokes at the expenses of people that were on the stage in in it. Like, and I was like, oh, they didn't. Oh, good. Good. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, that goodwill just went away. <laughs> right. Real quick. Yeah, I guess another short kind of like spoiler alert as to what we're going to get into in this film is that this a film posits two things at the same time. <laughs> One, <laughs> racism no longer exists, which is itself problematic. Two, fuck Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all point and laugh at these Irish people. Yeah. It's, it's just both of those are problematic, but the fact that they're doing both at the same time is, is itself insane. Moving on, Bobby, what happens next? Um, you then discover that this is actually a basketball movie. <laughs> like every Disney Channel. Like, like every uh, Disney Channel movie. It's actually about a kid. <laughs> it's actually about a kid being good at basketball. And like everyone having their like hopes and dreams invested in this one kid's basketball success in some fucking small town Utah. Oh yeah, the whole town. This isn't even like high school musical. This is like junior high, the racist play. Like like, these are junior high kids. (laughs) Junior high, the racist play. That's the review. You learn he's really good at things and everyone's like, man, you're always just so lucky. Um, This kind of ties into what you're talking about and the next cuts to their history class where they're learning about everyone that came to America and they're in a class where their psychopath of a history teacher makes all of the students sit across the room at the dividing line in the middle and face each other, <laughs> which, like, I don't know if I couldn't sit through the hell that was that. There are arrows pointing towards different times that different groups of people came to America. And there was one arrow that I had to be say to myself, I didn't read that right. But that didn't say what I thought it said. I better go back and relook at that arrow. And there is a blue arrow from Africa pointing to America that reads U.S. import of slaves. Okay. And I was like, import. Like, cargo or goods. Just import. Yep. I know what you're saying, Bob. I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm going to put forward a Separate thought. Um, I also paused on that. And I also paused (laughs) at the arrow coming from Africa because I really wanted to see how they described it. And I was worried they were going to just say African immigration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because they were saying like Irish immigration and all this kind of stuff. And I was very worried they were just going to ignore American history with slavery. So the fact that the arrow said importation of slaves, I honestly thought was an acknowledgement. It's a historically accurate acknowledgement. They they did have that that line later on in the movie 
uh, where uh, the lead character's uh, friend, yep. there's uh, another one. He, he's yep. talking to yep. a bunch of Irish people that are complaining how they didn't get paid the same, and then he says, "Well, at least you got paid. At least they're acknowledging it." It's very cringeworthy. Here's the thing: we're go- I'm going to go on a slight political tangent, and you have to stop me from ever doing this ever again, including right now. Yell out! Tell me to stop doing this, guys. No, stop keep, me. Keep stop going. me right now. This is like Hook, Captain Hook, where it's like Shmee, stop me, Shmee, stop yeah, me, yeah, Shmee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, get Shmee. political. Pick a, pick a side. Try and stop me, Shmee, Shmee, try and stop me. <laughs> take, a, take a stance, pick a side. Right now, in America, there is a lot of political controversy around simply talking about systemic racism. And on Disney+, Plus, the television series The Proud Family, which is about an African-American family, it's an animated series contained a segment in a recent episode where the characters perform a beat poetry song called Slaves Built This Country. And this piece discussed America's history with racism and with slavery and the systemic barriers to success that impedes the African-American community. And... This was quickly hit upon by the Fox News crowd as being woke, anti-American, anti-white propaganda coming from Disney, which is, of course, insane that simply acknowledging history, acknowledging what has happened in the country um, is considered to be itself somehow anti-white racist and it's coming from a very particular agenda-filled group, but it's out there. And that, I think, informs a lot of the ways you look at what Disney is and is not at least standing up to do. And the bar is so low on that one. Yeah. My first instinct in looking at this 2001 thing was just to say, are they even acknowledging that slavery happened? And when they did, I was like, well, at least that's something. That is a fucking start. That's fair. And you know what? I I think it's – let's take just a quick second to acknowledge the fact that, like, we are three white Canadian males talking about this subject as well. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, who's to say that from another perspective of someone that it's like – as you say, the fact that this is at least acknowledged in there, like, whether or not you want to get into the wording, like, is something. And I think that is worth pointing out for a topic we're going to unfortunately bring up repeatedly throughout this film. Oh, my God. Uh, Anyway, okay. Hopefully, hopefully I'm done. Hopefully I'm done talking about that. <laughs> and let's take another quick moment to acknowledge that of all the films we could have watched on Disney, Luck of the Irish is the one we are tiptoeing around. Yeah. <laughs> I also point out that there's there's no warning at the beginning. There should be. I, that's okay. insanity. Yeah. This, this film is insensitive to certain cultures because fuck is it insensitive to certain cultures. Specifically, the Irish culture. But they also, this is also the point of the film where he learns about, he learns about Heritage Day and he realizes like, oh, I actually don't know what my heritage is. I should go home and ask my parents about it. He has a line that says, what if I don't have a heritage? <laughs> this man is an idiot, right? <laughs> I don't know what, whatever. Well, he's just like, everybody has a heritage, but what if you didn't? As if that's like an elevator pitch. Yeah. What if you could go back in time and, like, stop your parents from ever meeting each other and falling in love? What would happen to you? But it's like, what if you didn't have a heritage? It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But, uh, so he, he, uh, he's getting confronted by a, uh, by uh, Bonnie, right? She says, what are you going to do for the Heritage Day 
show, whatever it is. And, uh, and he's like, oh, well, I don't know. Uh, heritage is so in the past, uh, sports. Now that's what's happening now. That's where I'm coming from. I hate this man. I hate this man yeah. so much. Yeah. He's pretty awful. Okay. Um, just, uh, I'm going to try to quickly get through this plot. Um, oh, yeah. quick as possible. So the big pitch here is that he has this lucky coin around his neck and yet he wants to know what his heritage is. It's clearly the fucking coin, you idiot. Like, this is the family heirloom. Like, just look into the coin. But he's got this lucky coin and he goes to his parents and he's like, what's our family heritage? And then his mom, in a very weird line that I can't tell is itself problematic or is a satire of problematic lines or is just wrapped up in the whole sandwich of problematicness that is this movie. But she gets... She goes, honey, we're American. That's enough heritage for us. Yep. Doesn't matter. Don't look into it any further. By the way, never take off your lucky coin. Again, you should probably look into the coin. <laughs> this, this is a favorite TV trope of mine in anything. And like this is during the dinner scene where the mother brings the biggest fucking bowl of salad you have ever seen in your entire life to feed a family of three. Oh, God, that's this scene? <laughs> yeah. Did you guys notice the camera work in this scene? Like... They didn't have room for that camera. They had to put, like, a fish island. Because the salad fucking bowl was too big. It took up the whole shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I made yeah. a note of how wide that camera lens was, and I was like, wow, they're, like, they're squeezing that camera into the corner, and you're right. It's because the salad bowl was too big. We find out that everything, this guy's lucky at everything. He doesn't ever miss a shot in basketball. He can just know the answer on his tests. Yeah. By just checking him off, multiple choice. He finds money. He's yeah, he's, he's got luck and he doesn't know what it is. This is kind of what I'm talking about, about how problematic this movie is. Do you guys know what the origin of the term the luck of the Irish is? No, no I don't, but I'm very interested in it's hearing. It's not an Irish term. There are debates as to its actual origin and whether or not it was intended as a pejorative or a diminutive. And the fucking title of the film is called Luck of the Irish. There is certainly scholarly um, sources to back up the suggestion that the term originates in the 19th century from resentment towards Irish-American miners because it coincided with the Irish immigration period. There were a lot of Irish immigration miners. And so because there were a lot of Irish immigration miners, there were therefore a lot more Irish immigration miners who struck gold. And it was sort of a complainy, they didn't even work in this country, they just come here and strike gold. You know, it's the luck of the Irish. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They come into the country and they immediately just fall over backwards into a pile of gold, which, as we know, is what happens to everyone when they go to California during the gold rush, as we saw in The Adventures of Bullwood Griffin. That's true. There is a lot of uh, historical sources to suggest that that is the origin of the term, that it actually comes from a place of disparagement towards the Irish. Gotcha. And not only did they use that as the title of this movie. It's the whole premise. But the plot. The plot of this movie, the premise of this movie is that the Irish don't have to work for anything mm. and rely purely on magical luck to get through life. <sighs> it is so offensive. And you might stop me and say, oh, no, 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 no. It's not the Irish. It's leprechauns because they're. Spoiler alert, it's going to be revealed that his family are leprechauns. <laughs> not, 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 just, not just Irish, they're leprechauns. Yep. I would stop you there and I would say that this movie clearly conflates being Irish with being a leprechaun. It treats it like the same there thing. There are no Irish people in this film that aren't leprechauns. That is correct. Holy shit. That aren't magical in some way. Holy shit. Yeah. I never even picked up on that. Yeah, they're all leprechauns. <laughs> It's a horrible movie. Oh, it's terrible. It's a hor and it's I guarantee you, nobody making this film ever clued into how fucking offensive it was. 
And I'm going to get into this now. I'm just going to say it now. The worst part of all this, and everything I've said so far is really bad, but maybe, maybe you could make it work. If you, like, kind of, like, sanded off some of the edges and, like, kind of confronted some of the issues with it. But if you want to do a story about a guy who finds out he's a leprechaun and, like, tie in a bunch of Irish culture, you got to make the people actually Irish, okay? Like... None of them are. None of the people in this movie are Irish. No. They're all playing Irish people. And doing terrible Irish accents. None of them are Irish. I, like, Googled it. Ryan Merriman, his, like, Google whatever thing, suggested that he has multiple ethnic backgrounds, including German, English, Scottish, Irish. That's not fucking Irish enough, okay? Like, (laughs) none of these people are actually Irish. And none of them should be playing these roles. Because this is an extreme, like, this is, if you want to do this, you are walking on thin ice. You are making a stereotype of a culture. Like, you need to actually have people from this culture involved in making this movie. And none of these people are Irish. Like, it blows my fucking mind. You couldn't find a single Irish actor? I can't believe the in-depth conversation that we are having about luck of the Irish. Not in a million years that I think that this was going to happen when I suggested it. Like, of all, this is the most loaded film we've watched. Yeah. Oh, by far. By far. Like, that one scene in Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin is extremely offensive, but the rest of the movie mostly isn't. Like, this entire movie, at its core, makes me ill. Like, it angers me. Fucking hell. Uh, he, he, he sees that this, the clearly Irish symbol on his Irish <laughs> on, magical on, on coin. His, his golden Irish coin. <laughs> is also on a poster for an Irish festival. And he's like, oh, maybe I'll find out about my heritage here at this Irish festival. I'm going to find out why they have the same symbol as my coin. You're clearly Irish, buddy. Okay. So he goes to this festival and at this festival, three things happen. Okay. Number one, he runs into a short statured man doing a very bad extreme irish accent who keeps commenting on his shoes and asking him why he doesn't cobble his own shoes yeah that'll pay off later i guess really? I, I like that scene too because they say yeah we asked what kind of shoes he's wearing he's like they're clearly basketball shoes and then it cuts back and i was like the kid is not wearing basketball <laughs> shoes <laughs> then he goes out to um like the the bandstand at this fair and there is a uh, step dancing show that is going on. And we are introduced to Seamus McTiernan, who is the villain of the piece, played by Timothy Obmanson. Once again, I stress. Not Irish. Another actor that is not yep. Irish, playing an Irishman with a terrible Irish accent. Before you realize he's a fucking leprechaun who's like set up this whole fair so he can steal gold from people. I did like the idea that like, oh, this is like Michael Flatterly after Lord of the Dance. And like, what does he do now? But he's at the state fair. <laughs> He's just at the Utah State Fair. <laughs> driving around in an RV with stickers on it that say Saint to the Step. I love how lazy the filmmaking is, is they couldn't even get uh, someone to actually do the step dancing. Uh, they just show, like, a waist-high shot of the Timothy guy, of him just jumping around, and they don't even show the feet of the lead actor, right? They actually got, like, a step dancing crew to do it behind him, but they never show him do the dancing. To be perfectly honest, I also kind of like the camera movements, you know, like, to the extent that you want to compliment the filmmaking in this, you know, it's one step above phoning it in. The camera's moving, and it's, like, dynamically capturing the dance. It's like, ah, this isn't that bad of a scene. it's just just done to hide the fact that he can't dance. Of course he can't dance. He also can't do an Irish accent. I don't know why they can't 
Bastard. He can't do either of the things that the character needs to do. Moving on with the plot. While he's there, a henchman of Seamus, Seamus McTiernan steals his lucky gold coin from around his neck and replaces it with a fake one. And then he goes home and the next morning he wakes up. And suddenly he seems to be unlucky because he's dropping things on his feet. He seems to be a little bit shorter because his pants seem too long. And then he goes downstairs and his mother is speaking in a terrible Irish accent. Yes, they make this poor woman put on a fake Irish accent for the rest of this film. Yeah, she's like aggressively Irish uh, immediately. Again, there's so much weird shit going on in this film because I'm just going to explain it now. So the plot of this is that they have this magic coin. That allows them, and they use this language. I'm almost, I didn't go back and double check. I'm 90% sure they use this term. To pass for human. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the magic can make them pass as human. Yeah, you're, I'm pretty sure you're right. Because leprechauns ordinarily are very tiny, and I guess speak with an Irish accent. But with the coin, they can pass for human. So they are normal size. They no longer have red hair and they don't have an Irish accent. So there's so many layers of problematic to this. First of all, two of the elements that you're talking about are just being Irish. <laughs> you know, I mean, not not all Irish people have red hair, but it is certainly a more dominant trait within the Irish community than elsewhere. And having an Irish accent is Irish. So two-thirds of this whole characteristic is just Irish. So it's not even really leprechaun. You're just talking about Irish. So this is a story about someone who has a magic coin that lets them pass for not Irish. This is such a problematic story. And the fact that they use this language and they have this thing where it's like, oh, you can pretend to be human. Again, you're suddenly capturing this element of visible minorities passing for being majority white, you know, Anglo-Saxon population. And they're wrapping all of this in a stupid fucking leprechaun thing. Nobody stopped to think about what they were saying with this movie. It boggles the mind. It's, and then, like, he comes home and his, later his mom is making shoes. She's wearing, like, old-timey clothes. She gives him a bucket of lunch <laughs> like fish guts or something they just make it about being irish but then they throw the shrinking thing in there as if to be like oh also all irish people are very tiny yeah it's i don't know i i don't even i, I can't wrap my head around how racist this movie is and this movie's like fucking lazy like they use the same insert of the same milk truck driving up the same street with the same person walking the same dog twice really if I can stop for a second and, and, and briefly stop ranting about how offensive I find this movie um, and briefly start ranting about how stupid I find this movie, huh. I just want to ask about the internal logic of these characters. They have one magic coin for their family. If it's lost, the entire family turns into leprechauns. Yep. They give it to the youngest member of the yep. family, the son. The most likely to lose it. And then refuse to tell him what it is. And that's not, it's not like magically they have to, like, oh, we're, we're forbidden from ever telling you. They just choose. They're like, no, I think it'll be a better idea if we never tell him that he's a leprechaun and we'll all be doomed to be tiny creatures forever if he loses this coin. Uh -huh. We'll just trust that he won't lose the it's coin. It's in the plot of this movie because they don't want him to know he's a leprechaun because she's run away from her father who's married that he, she married someone who's not a leprechaun. Otherwise, they would have told him. Yeah, because it's guess who's coming to Irish dinner. It's yeah. very strange. My leprechaun father. What, uh, why didn't they just come up with a backstory to tell him? Like, none of this would have happened. 
had they just anything they just would have had anything they just they're like no we're from cleveland and that's all they tell him they wouldn't have had a movie if they'd filled in that plot hole no yes but it's so aggravating oh yeah never mind there's no movie perfect cover story yeah the end okay um let's let's go this fucking quick we've already talked about this movie too damn long uh so he he loses his coin uh his team Still wins the basketball game, even though he sucks and he's their star. But thanks to somebody else, because other people are actually talented. This is, again, like, another city full of fucking assholes, because the whole town, the whole school, everybody is booing at him. Like, he leaves the court and the fucking eagle flips him off as he loses the game. So his mother has now shrunken down to the size of a goldfish or something. She's very, very tiny. Quickly talk about for a second that this movie came out 42 years after Darby O'Gill and Little People. (laughs) (laughs) And the effects on Darby O'Gill and the little people are better than the one in this movie. Oh, of course. But this is a TV movie, Bob. Come on. It's a TV movie. I posit movie. that they probably... I mean, okay, with inflation and everything, but still, it's like they probably spent as much money on Darby O'Gill and the little people as they did this made-for-TV movie. Oh, my God. She's extremely tiny. Tinier than the Darby O'Gill leprechauns. She's like an inch tall. You could, like, put her in your pocket and, like, walk around. And he's starting to shrink as well. Uh, is he? Yeah, he is. Is he? Does he? They, they they make some furniture taller than him for a few shots and then quickly forget about it for That's the rest of it. That's what I'm getting at. It's so lazy. They they only do it for, like, choice shots. So the rest of the time, he's still towering above the other characters. And they're just like, oh, we have to remind everyone that he's short. And so they'll just, like, have him on his knees. There's one shot when Bonnie's taller than him. And then the next, they're running down a hallway and sh- and he's, like, two feet taller than her. I, I also want to point out that they do the most bizarre red hair dye. Oh, it's frosted tips, but with red hair. They they frost his tips. It's I don't understand. <laughs> it's like terrible. Just from a conceptual, why is that what you would say the magic does to him? It it frosts his tips with red. Because two thousand one frosted tips was cool. That's well. That's the thing. Is like my wife walked boy at one point. She was like, ooh. Vest in a bucket hat. Yeah, you're watching a movie from 2001. <laughs> right? And then he took the hat off and she saw the hair and I was like, oh, the hair's a plot point. He doesn't just look like that. And she was like, funny, never would have questioned it and just like walked <laughs> through the room. <laughs> she's like, mom, I met this man. He must have stolen it. And she's like, did he have a snake on his boot? Yeah, that's my father. My father with the snake on his boot. Ha, that's my da. Oh, my God. And then now he has he starts putting on an Irish accent every so often, which is, again, terrible. Yep. Cast an Irish person. Come on. So uh, they go to the uh, Emerald Isle Potato Factory to meet his grandfather, who is also a leprechaun, uh, Riley O'Reilly, because I guess they couldn't think of a different name. Potato Factory, which I will add, has more security than any bank I've ever been to. Right? (laughs) Also, no actual potato chip making equipment no 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 they, they just wheel around carts of potato chips they to different have- levels of the factory <laughs> and then push them potatoes. to a pl- and then they they push those carts to a tube and they dump them down a layer of the factory to another bucket below and they just move potatoes around the factory up and down up and down and they're giving tours of this potato factory there's no fryers anywhere there's no slicers there's no sorters it's just literally industrial tubes full of potatoes. Her grandfather is money laundering. He says he owns a factory, but you never actually see anybody make potatoes, like make chips. I would actually suggest that perhaps the movie, the backstory is that the movie assumes that the grandfather is using leprechaun magic to just make potatoes, bring the potato chips into existence by sheer will alone. And the factory is just like a magic laundering facade. 
where they're trying to they have to make it look like there's something that could be making all of these potato chips that come out right, the back. Right, right, right. No, ab- absolutely. And the thing is, it's not only that her grandfather makes but potato why chips. But they do tours it's that, then? It's that he... <laughs> no, no, no. It's not because he makes potato chips. It's because he made potato chips. He's the man that invented them. Yeah, right. He's the guy who invented potato chips. Not a French chef from, like, the 1400s or whatever the fuck it was. To be fair, I, I, I do know this to be true because I worked with an, an Irishman. There is a potato chip-themed theme park in Ireland called Tato Land. Oh, Jesus. That I very desperately want to go to because Tato Brent <laughs> chips are fucking delicious. Nice. Grandfather is like, oh, no, it's probably Seamus McTiernan. Who's an evil oh, no, we, we, we skipped some Torch Talk. Torch Talk! They're, never mind, like, the fact that they don't actually make potato chips in this factory. <laughs> they don't have ladders because the safety inspector is just standing on a cart changing a light bulb down a hallway when I'm like, you have a ladder somewhere. Like, you deserve to fall. Right. Bobby, I'm usually so excited for Torch Talk, but I just, I, I want yeah. to be done talking about No, no, this no, movie. that's fair. But it, it, it was <laughs> worth pointing out that it's like, that's how I know this is a facade of a factory. They like chase the evil leprechaun around. The evil leprechaun does evil Irish things. His grandfather starts getting a big, long, bushy beard because he's turning into a leprechaun. So the climax of it is as they're trying to get this gold coin back, eventually he has to challenge Seamus McTiernan to a battle of sports. And he's going to prove that he doesn't need his luck. And he does this because evil leprechauns can't resist gambling. That's another stereotype that I think is probably bad to foist on the Irish. Yeah. You think? <laughs> he challenges him to this series of sports games, and if he wins, he gets his lucky coin back, so he can pass as um, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant again. And if he loses, then he uses the words. He says, I will be your slave. Yep. Uh, yep. That's the word they use. Um and then they go into a magical realm where they do a bunch of Irish sports and they have to compete doing Irish sports and uh, it doesn't even really matter. At the end of it, the final contest that they end up having is they have to play a basketball game and he has to do it without his luck. And then he ends up scoring a basket without his luck using pure skill, which is what every other human has to do at every single yep. moment of their yep. lives. So his his heroic moment is to rise to the level of the base expectations for every other person. Anyway, whatever. He wins. He defeats the evil leprechaun. Yay. And then the movie ends with everybody singing in unison. As Oh, my God. As as much as I hated everything in this movie, I hated this ending more. Oh, yeah. It was by far like, at, the worst. By the time we got to this, I was like, there is nothing that could possibly be worse than everything that I've seen so far in this movie. And then they taught yeah. themselves because the actual ending is that he Kyle goes on stage at their heritage festival at high school. He does a little step dancing. Again, they don't show the footwork. Doesn't matter. Everyone applauds him. He takes the mic and he says, thank you. I'm very proud of my Irish heritage. And then they start singing Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. Um, yep. Woody Guthrie wrote this song in 1940 as an indictment of American capitalism. The original lyrics, they are not about racial harmony. They are not about... It's a small world after all. They are 
about how corporations are a blight upon mankind. And I really don't think the Walt Disney Company should be ending <laughs> their fucking movie with everyone standing up and singing Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. Um, And then it finally ended. Yeah. I hate that movie. That movie's terrible. This is, like, without a doubt, one of the worst films I have ever seen. Um, Okay, l- let's rank it. We're going to do them as we go so what's your ranking for this one rob you go if we're ranking them one at a time uh this movie is uh at the bottom it's the it's the bottom it's number 42 41 something like that whatever it is at the bottom so it's the very bottom of the list for you okay bob where does it go for you i actually can't tell it's either one above or one below the adventures of bullwhip griffin it's pretty fucking close to the bottom i have a hard time doing this i think anything unidentified flying oddball and lower are just just absolute trash. And so I really, wherever it sits in there, Come it really on. doesn't matter because it's all just unwatchable garbage. I am going to put this above Adventures in Babysitting because I think as a narrative, it was slightly less painful. It's extremely <laughs> offensive, but I, I think it was a, it was a bit easier to watch than Adventures in Babysitting 2016. So I'm putting this at number 43. That's second from the bottom for me. All right. What do we got next, boys? Folklore. After that in-depth conversation about a terrible film that's just the most racist thing ever, we have a live recorded album, Taylor Swift's Folklore. This This is not a live recorded album. This album was recorded in studio separately in different parts of America and then played live for the special. Did you not pay attention to anything she said? Okay. Oh, my God. They they recorded the concert. music live for this documentary. Yeah, but body. you said it's a live recording. It's a concert yeah. documentary. I, is, this is not a documentary. No, it's not. It's just a, it's, they just play the song. It's a concert. They just play the songs from the album. Okay. I mean, I yeah. Okay. Maybe documentary is the wrong term. I guess the genre is what concert film. I mean, there's a genre of these things like the last waltz. And, yeah. Uh, this film came out in 2020. It was directed and produced by Taylor Swift. It was directed by Taylor Swift. It was directed and produced by Taylor Swift. It was filmed in Hudson Valley, New York at the Long Pond Studio Sessions. It's Uh, explicitly states at the beginning that the premise of it is that Taylor Swift in May 2020 at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic sat down with a couple collaborators and wrote a bunch of new songs for an album. She then recorded that album remotely, uh, most of it actually being recorded at that same place, um, the Long Pond Studio. And uh, then it came out at the end of July in 2020 as a surprise release, went to the top of the charts, got huge rave reviews, did very, very well. Then in November of 2020, Disney Plus uh, released this concert film of the album also as a surprise release. Um, the announcement came four hours before it was available on Disney+. Plus. This was just, oh, wow. I guess, what she was doing at the time. Taylor Swift likes those surprise releases. The other collaborators, the other people involved in this film are Aaron Desner, who is a co-writer and co-producer of the album. Um, he plays instruments in the concert, in the live performances, and he's also part of the interstitials. We'll get to that later. The other one is Jack <laughs> Antonoff. Uh, he is a more long-term collaborator 
collaborator with Taylor Swift. He has been working with her since 2013 as a co-songwriter. Um, he has co-produced many of her newest albums, uh, including Midnight's, which is one of the most successful albums of all time. And Taylor Swift dominated the top 10 of the Billboard 100 for the first time ever. It's the only time anyone has ever had all That's right. of the entire top 10 be for one artist from a single album. And that's Jesus. Midnight's. Um, the lead single from Midnight's Antihero was number one for eight weeks. And all of that was co-produced and co-written with Jack Antonoff. In this film, what we get are live performances of the entire album. Um, and between each performance, you get, I'm not going to say interviews because it's not an interviews. You get clips of a conversation between Taylor and her two collaborators talking about the making of the album and the inspiration for the songs and how each song came to be. Sort of. Sort of. You, you, you got that slightly incorrect. You get a drone shot. Then you get her talking with the collaborators <laughs> every single time. Yep. Every time. The filmmaking was actually kind of interesting. They shot it without a film crew. Uh, the whole thing was done with six stationary cameras placed around the studio, along with a single Ari Alexa that was on a track. I saw that. And then they had a drone camera. They basically just kept rolling because it's all digital. And then they edited it together afterwards. I kind of liked that approach. I thought that was... A low-stakes, kind of low-fi, homespun concert film. Yep. It felt like a it felt like a living room concert. It had like a living room concert vibe for like an indie folk concert. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I made a note. I was like, you know, besides the shots where they want to highlight that there's a camera there, considering how small that recording studio was, you couldn't really see the camera. And I was like, that then there's a lot of reflections in the windows, and I was like, okay, yeah, good on them. Camera works okay. Um another little interesting tidbit, while they were shooting this film in September of twenty twenty, um they recorded her follow-up album, Evermore, which was Jesus. then surprise dropped in December, uh, which also went to number one and was a huge, massive success. So they were really just churning out the the art. They were churning out the music. They just couldn't stop. They opened up their souls and it poured out. And I'm just going to give a little bit of review here and say, uh, you can tell, because all of this shit sounds like a first draft. <laughs> um I don't hate Taylor Swift. Uh, in fact, as far as um, mega pop stars go, I think she's a cut above. I like some of her songs. I think she can sometimes be lyrically interesting. I think her music is often very catchy. And I think as this concert film illustrates, she has a beautiful singing voice and is a great musician. I don't like most of these songs. <laughs> you know what? I would uh, I would be inclined to agree with you on that one. Um, uh, my, my first notes were of this film. Uh, did y'all know Taylor Swift can sing? Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, Taylor Swift is good. She should keep this up. Uh, because I really haven't, uh, listened to much of anything of Taylor Swift's music before. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I've heard some songs on the radio, uh, but I've never actually sat down and actively listened to a Taylor Swift album. Um, and I was like, oh man, she's, Pretty good. I, I mean, I wasn't really into the lyrics of the song so much. Um, uh, spoiler alert, uh, they're about heartache, uh, and breakups. I thought, I thought she sings really well. Uh, after about five songs, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm about done with this album. <laughs> I would probably have turned it off. And then you looked and it was, there was 12 songs left. Oh, I God. honestly didn't know how many songs there were. Uh, and holy shit, there's 16. Oh, no, surprise, there's a 17th. What the fuck? <laughs> 
Bob, what are your thoughts on Taylor Swift? I have no issues with Taylor Swift. And like, as you said, you don't achieve the levels of the level of success Taylor Swift has without being very talented. And you can tell she's a very talented singer. She, as much as you said, these are all first drafts. It's like she turned out 17 songs and like, Two months. That's obscene. Right. In the real world, when there wasn't COVID, some producer would have been like, great, let's make this 10 or 11. I found all of these songs to be very boring and safe. Yep. That's just me, though. Like, I'm not disparaging anyone that likes Taylor Swift, and I'm not going to say she's not a good songwriter. As you said, she's the only artist ever to have all top 10 songs in the Billboard Top 10. I agree with you for the most part. Uh, I found most of the songs extremely boring. Um harmonically they were all almost the exact same thing all most the exact of them same. were just jumping back and forth from the one to the four and then oh sometimes they go to the six and that's when it gets sad the minor they all the exact same arrangements i know that was part of the aesthetic where it was like it's minimalist it's just two guitars and a piano or something but like for God's sakes, they can do more than just the <laughs> sus two chord and then the sus four chord <laughs> and then the sus two chord again um, it was it was five songs in i was after the fifth one and i was like oh this is everyone okay there was a few <laughs> songs that i made note of that i hated less yeah i think we liked the same one didn't we sean well there's three that i want to draw attention to the first is exile which was a duet with uh justin vernon from bonnie bear yeah and yeah. uh that was the one i thought it was a generic song, but I thought the duet aspects of it, I thought what Bon Iver brought to it and his voice, it was very captivating. I liked the production of it. I liked the sound of it. The duology of their two voices going together, I felt yeah, I worked made a really note. well. Bon Iver can sing too. It's weird because he's I, when I think Bon Iver, I think like his first two EPs, like that really like high falsetto, and he only does that a little bit in this song, like for like one or two bars maybe. Yeah, he's actually quite deep. He actually has Real quite deep. a deep baritone. My, my favorite part about that song was when she talks about wanting to collaborate with him and she says something like I'm really wondering if he's going to want to be a part of this song and I'm like yeah I, I think Justin Vernon wants some of that Taylor Swift money coming his way I think he'll say yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what the fuck I hated every single interstitial. I hated them so much. There was two elements of it that I just didn't care for. The first is that it sounded like we were all eavesdropping on the most boring conversation ever. <laughs> yes. Yes, we were. It was a bunch of people who were so proud of themselves being like, hey, do you like that song? Yeah, I like that song. Remember when we wrote that song? Yeah, that song was pretty good. There was nobody leading the conversation. There was nobody interviewing anybody. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly exactly what I'm going to say. It needed an interview. It needed a director that wasn't Taylor Swift. <laughs> She's making it about herself. And so the whole thing, to use a pejorative term, comes off like a hagiography. What is that? So a hagiography is a biography that is written about a saint, and it only says nice things about Okay. Them. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. It's um, 100%. That's what this is. This was... Very self-indulgent. That was that was my issue with every single one of these. Was this is yeah. it's just her talking about the inspiration of the song, and then someone sitting across from her saying, "Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. You, that is totally what you brought to the song. I loved everything you did about it." And then, yeah, and then I want to do this with it, and they're like, "Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, you you really did that." And this goes on for two hours. Well, when I watched it, I was the first thing that came to my head was I was like, "Well, of course, this Jack Antonoff guy is just going to be like, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I thought it was brilliant because, like, it comes across like this is the first time they've worked together, 
when you don't know people well, you don't want to step on people's toes. You don't know how fragile egos are. So there's just a lot of generous compliments. Oh, I thought that was amazing. I thought that was really great how you did that. And this kind of like gratuitous amount of complimentary language that comes out talking about how great Taylor Swift is. And then I look into it and the dude's been working with her for seven years. Like at some point... Your peers, buddy. Like, stop fucking talking <laughs> I like said, this. Uh, I said Jack Antonoff is the, the biggest yes man since, like, the Phantom Menace Rick McCallum guy. He was basically just telling her exactly what she wanted to hear at all points in time. I'm pretty sure his only line of dialogue was, you're a genius. Yeah, and I right? think he just said that over and over yeah. again. I also made the note that Jack Antonoff is kind of a goober. Uh, he's kind of goobery. <laughs> I, I will say neither Jack Antonoff or Aaron Desner have camera presence. No, and um, Aaron Desner is actually, he almost <laughs> seems very hesitant to be on camera. Like he, he's, he's one sure. of those people that like you get the impression if you were to ask him about his own art or his own music, he wouldn't really want to talk about it. Like that's kind of the way he comes off. And like, yeah. and, that's, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Like there's a lot of artists like that, myself included. I just draw attention to the distinction between them and then Taylor Swift, who right? is clearly very confident in front of the camera. Yeah. I was extremely annoyed by everything Taylor Swift said, but I will say that there was a certain amount of charm, not enough for me to recommend watching this thing, but there's a certain amount of charm <laughs> in how laid back and I would actually use the word unpretentious she is. Okay. She describes her songwriting process in such blunt terms, in in such ordinary terms. At times, she gets really excited talking about other country songs she likes and how, like, this has that kind of a vibe to it. And I just found it quite relatable. To the extent that I say it felt like eavesdropping on one of the most boring conversations ever, I will say that I've been in those <laughs> conversations and they're not terrible to be in they're just terrible to That's fucking true. listen to you know and like especially <laughs> when you're in when, when you're in a situation where like you are recording or like you've just recorded a song and like you're like oh sean yeah i really liked what you did with that part and you're like oh thanks yeah this is like really what i was thinking and you're like yeah and i totally got that like as you say yeah. like in the moment it's not self-indulgent it's not being pretentious it's just you're both enjoying what you're doing there were three songs that I didn't I didn't mind that much. Uh, the first was The Exile, the the duet with um, Bon Iver. Uh, the second one, I, I liked the song This Is Me Trying. And she introduced it kind of talking about how she wanted to write about people who are struggling with alcoholism or mental health issues. While I was watching it, again, it's about halfway through at this point. So by that point, I was just like, shut the fuck up, Taylor. I don't want to listen to this anymore. I just do not <laughs> fucking care about any of this. And so she's going on about like, oh, this song's about alcoholism and it's about – and I'm just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And then she started singing and I'm like, oh, actually, this, this isn't that bad. I like this song. It's kind of nice. When she kind of talked about that and I was like, okay, this could be interesting. And then I heard the song and I was like, oh, this is like kind of boring. Okay, this is a song written by someone who hasn't necessarily had those issues, wondering what it will be like to have those issues. Do you remember one of the uh, let's talk about how good we are, um, how they kept referring to one of the characters in the song's name is Cardigan? There was a lot of inside references that they didn't yeah. explain. Again, yeah. we're eavesdropping on a conversation that... They don't give us context to, and I don't give a fuck about it. I was supposed to know who a character named Cardigan was? Thank you very much. The, the first song was called Cardigan, and then, because there's three songs in the album that are a trilogy that she wrote with William Bovary, who is a pseudonym for the actor she's rumored to be dating, or is dating. Joe? Is it Joe? I don't care. I don't care about Joe. any of this. 
none of I don't care about any of right? this. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to come across as salty or anything like that, but there was this whole thing where she was we, we're reviewing things. You can come across and salty, Bobby. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sure T Swift can handle it. Okay. I don't think our audience is too much crossover with diehard Swifties, uh, so I think we'll be okay. They might. I got nothing against diehard Swifties. As I said, no, I don't, I'm, not, I don't I'm just saying, like you could, you could probably speak your mind, Bobby. Swifties are welcome here. But, all right. She ha- she has this thing in the beginning where she says, like, I've only ever recorded in a studio, and I was like, wow, good for you. That's awesome for you um and then she kind of has this thing about how she's like yeah so we like built this home studio and then it like cuts to her studio and i was like this is not a home studio this is a studio kind of weird the way she talked about like yeah i'm just like the way i'm doing this is really different and new and i just i know so many artists and people that like that's just how they record in like someone's bedroom with like a digital recording box or like bands that have existed without ever living in the same cities like it's not a very uncommon thing i know and they like they present it like it like it's this earth shattering thing. It's insane. I, I texted you at some point saying like, "Is this a fucking double LP?" Because it just wouldn't. They're just this documentary just wouldn't end. It wouldn't. And then end. she said, "Okay, it so like this is the end. last song." And as a joke, my wife made the like, "Oh, track sixteen is called hoax. It better not be one." And then she was like, "Okay, so there's a surprise. There's a bonus track." And she was like, "Fuck off." Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's one hundred percent fair. So we got to get to the third song that I didn't hate. Your telling of this podcast, Sean, has more narrative and story dynamic than that entire movie we watched. (laughs) The third song that I didn't hate was August. I'm pretty sure that was a single um, because I think I had heard it before. It's not a bad song. It it had a nice melody to it. It was catchy. It was very generic and and boring, like you say, but I thought it, it kind of stood out a step above some of the other material. Um, but one thing I will note on this is that in the introduction to August, she goes on this long thing where she talks about writing the lyrics for it. And she says this bizarre thing where she was like, in 2010, I wrote a note in my phone where I wanted to write a song that included the lyric, meet me behind the mall. <laughs> oh yeah, this one. And That's I never one. got around to writing it until like 2020. So like it sat in there for 10 years. And like hearing that, I was like, that's a bad lyric. Like that means nothing. <laughs> like it, it means nothing. Why were you so desperate to write a song with that lyric? You can have a single line that has a huge amount, you know, Hemingway style, six words and tell a whole story. That is not fucking it. Meet me behind the mall means fucking nothing. So, but here's, here's the biggest punchline of this. When she played the song August during the bridge, the part that has the line she's talking about, meet me behind the mall. Yeah. The intro to that bridge has the line, back when we were still changing for the better. That's <laughs> so much better than meet me and behind I'm like, the that's mall. That's a good line. <laughs> like, that's a good line. That's a fucking line that you write in your phone because that's a sentence that has depth to it. It's fucking beautiful, but she spends the entire interstitial raving about her meet me behind the mall line that means fucking nothing. And that's that's what I don't get. So that's my final word on Taylor Swift. I think she sometimes does have interesting lyrics, but I'm not sure she knows when that is. I was honestly worried, um, Bobby, that this would be like torture for you because you have a fairly, very, very specific uh uh, tasted music, right? Bobby has an eclectic taste. What are you talking about? He contains multitudes. All I right? just thought it might be something that really irks him the wrong way. I do like some more folkier singer-songwriter stuff, but for me, like, it, this is just pop music, and 
I see why she's popular. It's just not for me. I find it very boring, safe, and uninteresting. But I have also spent the past two days listening to a genre of music called vomit noise. So what the fuck do I know? (laughs) The last little bit of maybe positive gloss that I'll put on this is that I did come away from watching this documentary thinking, boy, she writes a lot of songs. Yeah. A lot of them are very good, but some of them are okay. And she's had a lot of success. And it sort of put a bit more of a burner on me to say, like, I should just fucking do more stuff. Like, I, I, you you don't need to do anymore. My God, you're so busy. (laughs) Hey, listen, I could put out fucking 17 songs if I worked at it. Do Um, it. And I'm sure three of them would be good, too. So that's my new goal. (laughs) I'm going for the Taylor Swift three out of 17 ain't bad. (laughs) You know, unlike a lot of other artists or other people who struggled during the pandemic, she managed to flourish, which is an impressive feat upon itself. Right. It, it's it's a lesson not to be too precious with your own artwork because artwork is meant to be shared. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I appreciate what she does. Yeah. I just don't appreciate this album. It mostly sucks. Uh, and the movie is boring. Um, where are we going to rank it? <sighs> I went uh, 31. I said folklore is not a movie. 31. So that's below the sign of Zorro, but above Babes in Toyland. Uh, and there was, I think, two songs that we liked in Babes in Toyland, and I liked a few of the songs in Folklore, so I put it there. But it's uh, definitely not better than Sign of Zorro. My god. And that was just three episodes, or four or five episodes tossed together of a movie, and it wasn't a movie either. You know, I honestly thought I was going to put this a lot lower, because I really, I really did not enjoy watching it too much. Like, I had to force myself. I would not have finished watching it if it wasn't for this podcast, because... Right. The interstitials are just so excruciating. I do not care about anything you're saying. And I don't like most of the songs. So why am I watching this? Well, I was forced to. But in contrast to Luck of the Irish, where our conversation really confirmed how (laughs) horrifying that movie is. Where it's just an hour and 26 minutes of racism. This conversation kind of emphasized the value in something like this, especially even though it's not for me, other people might get more out of it. I'm going to put a little bit higher than I was expecting. I am, you know what, I think the exact same number as you. I'm going to put it 31. So that's one below Babes in Toyland and then just above the Shaggy DA. I think Babes in Toyland is as far down as I can go where I would ever say, you should, man, you should watch that. Not because it's good, but... uh, that's something. <laughs> Babes in Toyland is something. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, Bobby, what do you say? Would you be surprised to know that I ranked this film higher than both of you? Very. Really? That's crazy. Where are you putting um, it? I actually put this at number 27. I put this above Babes in Toyland because I have no reason to ever recommend that film to anyone. However, yeah. I might meet someone that likes Taylor Swift, and I could say, oh, have you watched Folklore? You might actually enjoy it. We all put this adjacent to Babes in Toyland. <laughs> like, by chance. <laughs> That's very funny, actually. <laughs> Why? What is this even? I don't know. We're almost done, people. We're on the last leg the third inning. I wonder if people are going to actually listen this far into the episode. I don't know. Some people might skip all the way here. Maybe I'll put maybe I'll put um, time codes in this episode. If you did skip all the way here, welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, a podcast where we brought... Anyway, this is... <laughs> 
The Lion King 2019, John Favreau's remake of The Lion King 1994, which was a remake of Kimba the White Lion. <laughs> I, I, I was this close to watching Kimba the White Lion until I realized it's actually not a movie and is a, is a manga anime. And I was like, oh, I don't have two hours. I don't have another two hours for this. This movie was, for some insane union reason credited to jeff nathanson as the writer despite the fact that this is just the screenplay from the 1994 version with like maybe one or two different pages thrown in and so i will say that the screenwriters are actually irene mackie jonathan roberts and linda wilverton but jeff nathanson gets so uh, yeah that's insane jeff nathanson you might know as a man who has written about a dozen terrible movies, including Speed 2, Rush Hour 2 and 3, Jesus and Indiana Jones 4. Oh. And you might say, how is this man allowed to keep making films? And then I would say, uh, uh, uh. He also wrote Catch Me If You Can, which is probably one of my favorite films of all time with an amazing screenplay. So, you know, people can Jeez. hit both highs and lows, I guess. But most of this guy's stuff is garbage. So the DOP on this was Caleb Deschanel. Uh, he was the DOP on The Right Stuff and The Natural and a bunch of other films going through the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s. Isn't that the papa to the new girl? Is, is that Zoe Deschanel's father? I didn't know. that. You can look it up. I'm learning something here. Um, the music was done by Hans Zimmer, who did the score for the 1994 version as well. And it had a budget of $250 million, and it made $1.66 billion with a b one of the highest grossing films of all time how do you want to talk about this uh i'm gonna quickly go through the cast just to get that out so i'm gonna compare the cast to this with the cast in the 1994 version just so that's on the record robbie's pointing at his phone which i guess means that he was right and caleb deschanel is the father of zoe deschanel so interesting little trivia something that you and i have both learned today listener we're on this Yay, journey I together. contributed something. The cast of 2019 Lion King includes Donald Glover and Jaden McCrory as Simba, both the old and young version. This is in contrast to the 1994 movie, which had Matthew Broderick and Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> as the old and young Simba. It stars Chiwetel Ejiofor as Scar taking over from Jeremy Irons from the 1994 version. Alfre Woodard as Sarabi, taking over from Madge Sinclair. Uh, Florence Kasumba as Shenzi, who you might know as Ayu in the MCU, one of the Dora Milaje. She takes over from um, Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. In the original version. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key and Eric Andre play the two comic relief hyenas taking over from Cheech Marin and Jim Cummings. Uh, there is also Nathan, Le uh, the new ones, sorry. There's also <laughs> Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa taking over from Nathan Lane and Ernie Sebeka. And John Oliver as Zazu taking over from Rowan Atkinson. There is also one other person. Beyonce is in this movie. She plays Nala. Insane cast. Rob, I want to ask you, what were your thoughts on the original 1994 version? I want to talk about the 94 version first, and then we'll talk about 2019. 
I assume everyone knows The Lion King, so we're not going to hit the story beats. We're just going to give some big picture stuff. Rob, what were your thoughts on the 94 Lion um, King? Every time I see a sunrise, I start singing that damn song <laughs> every time that there's a sunrise in movies. Uh, the first shot of the film. When they do the full circle of life and then it like just the big dramatic drum beat, just the title card comes on, The Lion King. I get chills to this day when I see that. Uh, Be Prepared is one of my favorite songs um, in a Disney film. So you really love this movie. In that oh, case. we'll get to it. I I don't see a flaw in it. I I just see all all of the sharp edges are ground down and everything is smooth. Like I just I love the movie so very very much. Bob, what are your thoughts on the original Lion King? Uh, I'm definitely one of those eight-year-old children that cried their eyes out at the death of Mufasa in the theater. Yep. I also have vivid memories of you and I trying to play the Super Nintendo game. <laughs> oh, it's impossible. Okay. The, un- the unbeatable, unfairly, like, legitimately unbeatable game that that is. It's the level and, with the giraffes. There's no way to get through it. It's impossible. And, 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 and the hippo tails. Yeah. You can't do it. No. And I thought that was just because you and I were like nine years old and sucked at video games. I've watched reviews of people of that video playing that game now who are 40 years old who are like, no, this game is unbeatable <laughs> and impossible. It was not just because you were eight. It is unfairly hard. Oh, man. I wouldn't call it one of my favorite Disney movies, but it's it's the fucking Lion King. It's like right. my wife and I were discussing about this. It's like depending on how old you are, it's either it's either Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King is your favorite Disney movie and all no, three no, of them are fucking three, bangers. Bobby. It's Aladdin, The Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast. You're talking about the Holy Trinity there, <laughs> because they're fucking they're fucking bangers. And this is the first this is the first one without Alan Menken writing songs, correct? Of those three, certainly within the um, yeah. the Disney Renaissance period, yeah. Alan Menken and Howard Ashman wrote Little Mermaid, then they did Beauty and the Beast, and then they did Aladdin, and then they did not work on The Lion King partly because Howard Ashman had passed away and Alan Menken went on to work with Tim Rice, I believe, on Pocahontas. Um, but yeah, they brought in Elton John to do the songs for The Lion King 1994, along with lyrics by Tim Rice. I had actually forgotten that. And I was like, oh yeah, it's Elton John in the original. And those songs in my head were Elton John as I was watching this soulless remake of a film. Hey, we thought the same thing. I have that exact note. This has happened to me since I've watched this movie and since before, and I was trying to rethink what songs are actually in The Lion King, and every single fucking time, it was under the sea. <laughs> every time. That's because I just can't wait to be king. Yeah. It sounds exactly like Under the Sea. It's the exact under same Under the song. Sea is amazing. One thing I will notice now that I'm older is the fact that um, it's Alan Macon does the music and Howard Ashman did the lyrics. He just likes to list off a lot of things in his songs. His lot, a lot of his songs are just listing off things over and over. The loot plays the yes. loot the best plays yes. the best. <laughs> <laughs> or um the uh fucking Prince Ali, he's got seventy five golden camels. You know, like he just yep. lists yep. off things. Uh, but it works. He's good at it's lists. Great. They're great lists. I mean, I'd write them down. Go to the grocery store. Um, an absolute genius who did a lot to further not only Disney films, but also the concept of the American Broadway musical, in my opinion. He's one of those Titanic figures. Okay, uh, for me, 1994's Aladdin. Uh, I had the plastic clamshell as a kid. I probably saw it at least Aladdin? half a dozen times. You mean The Lion King? <laughs> Fuck. For me, The Lion King, 1994. Leave it in. <laughs> I had the plastic clamshell as a kid. I probably saw it half a dozen times, if not 10 times, if not 20 times. Um, but I will say it was not my favorite. Um, as a kid, I kind of thought of it as a bit, 
you know, uh, second tier in terms of what my favorite Disney movies were. You know, I fucking loved Aladdin. I fucking loved Beauty and the Beast. I really liked, you know, some of the subsequent films, which probably aren't as good. But at the time, I really loved Hercules. I really loved Mulan. I really loved the Goofy movie. Lion King, I liked. Wow. But it, it always felt a little weird to me. Um Partly, I never really jived with the songs. And this is weird because I actually like Elton John. Yeah, okay. The songs never really clicked with me. And as an adult, I feel like the songs are just totally out of place. They do not fit the aesthetic at all. It's just Elton John pop songs in this African culture, even though it's uh, anthropomorphized um, animals. But like the Elton John music feels just why are they it's it's like somebody dropped in a radio yeah, and, and like just they tuned it to the BBC or oh, something and that's true because I remember Can You Feel the Love Tonight was a radio hit like they played yeah. it on the radio it's like outside of The Lion hit. King and I do not like it I, it bothers me the song grates me and I don't like it in the movie I never did one exception I love Circle of Life yep. it's an amazing segment it's an amazing song it's fucking bangers all the way. Circle of Life is amazing. I kind of feel like a lot of that has to do with the arrangement that Hans Zimmer probably put on it. You know, whatever. I'll give Elton John credit, I guess. It's it's a, it's beautiful in the so movie. So much so they don't fit in with the film that when they get to uh, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, they completely do like a snap cut and it changes complete animation style because they have to like make it into a cartoon music video because it wouldn't have fit in the movie otherwise. <laughs> I do kind of like that, though. I mean, we can talk about that when we compare it to the 2019 like version, but I do like how yeah. the animation style is heightened during the musical sequences. During Just Can't Wait yeah. to Be King, they take on a particular um, African animation style um, that isn't really present throughout the rest of the film. During Be Prepared, <laughs> weirdly enough, they do Nazi imagery, <laughs> which I think yeah. really would not play today. Somehow in 94, everyone thought that was okay, but... Yeah. <laughs> It's baked in, so we can watch it now and be like, just ignore that they're making the animals into Nazis, and it's a joke, sort of. (laughs) It's not a joke anymore, but at the time, it looked cool. Okay, that's the 94 version. 2019 version. Are you guys ready for a twist? All right, go. I fucking loved this movie. Oh, my God. (laughs) Really? Are you serious? I fucking loved this movie. Oh, my God. I fucking loved it. This movie... Was actively making me angry every new scene. And I find that hilarious because honestly, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) My girlfriend is number one. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then John Favreau's 2019 (laughs) remake of The Lion King. There were times in this movie that I had goosebumps. It blew me the fuck away. I'm going to be the odd man out here, I know, but... Fuck, did I find this movie gorgeous. And, like, everything about the story hit me that much harder in this version. Like, I've seen it a million times, but it's like I never understood it until now. Oh, I man. feel like this is this is the first time oh, I've man. ever actually understood I the Lion King. Now that he looks like a lion, I get it. It makes sense now. <laughs> oh, the circle of life. I understand. <laughs> the, the, the bit of his fur when it travels from um, the oasis to Rafiki. And in this movie, they really stretched it out, like the life cycle of the fur. <laughs> and it goes... Because it, it goes through the circle of life. Goes through the circle of life. Sure. And I, like, I shed a single tear. When that dung beetle, like, rolled that piece of, <laughs> oh of my shit God. across the desert, 
I, I, I teared up a little. I was like, I finally get it now. I finally understand the circle of life. Um, I do want to say a few more things in my life. All I said was, Rafiki, don't touch that. It's covered in shit. He's a monkey. <laughs> He's a monkey. He's a monkey. <laughs> I have a couple more things to say, but I, why don't I throw it to you guys so I don't hog all of the no, time? No, 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 um, no, no, no. Do all the positives first. No, no, first. Keep, no keep, please. keep going. Yeah, do please. all the positives. Okay. Yeah, yeah, here's, yeah. Here's, here's a couple more positives that I have to say. Um, I thought... Some of the vocal performances in this were genuinely amazing and affected me deeply. I understand how ridiculous this sounds oh my coming God. out of my mouth. Who were they? Number one, I will say Chuyatel Ijiofor as Scar. He was great. Should have got an Oscar. <laughs> it, it was fucking amazing. Like, and here's the thing. I like Jeremy Irons and I saw the old version. I was like, how could you possibly do a better version than Jeremy Irons? Like he's, he, he embodies Disney villain. And it's because he doesn't embody Disney villain. He's fucking playing this. Like he's a, like a weird, creepy right wing incel. And it's all rooted in his like weird, like beta anger because like Sarabi chose Mufasa instead of him it's like there's all of this underlying like tension and history that goes into it everything he said I thought gave me chills I thought I he did a good performance as Scar I, I legitimately agree look I got nothing against the voice cast in this film another one I want to highlight here though uh Florence Kasumba who plays Shen Zi. Uh, she's Io again in the MCU, one of the Dora Milaje. Um, I thought she was fucking amazing. Uh, she's great. It's a small part, but like, I felt an entire history of that character from like what she had six, seven lines, maybe. I, I was blown away. I was going to say, you could tell her apart, uh, from the other hyenas. Now keep in mind, they all look identical because they're hyenas, but when her character came on, and wasn't saying anything, you could just somehow tell that was her. It made no sense. Like, she brought a presence to the the character that you felt even when she wasn't speaking. Weird piece of trivia, she actually also played Shinzi on stage in the German version of the live-action Julie Taymor version of The Lion King, because she's German. Oh, wow. She's Ugandan by birth, but... She speaks German and she lived in Germany, That's which awesome. is crazy to me. And I thought she was amazing in this. I liked Donald Glover and Jade McCrory as Simba. I, I'm not going to praise them in the same way I will Chewie Telegia for, but I thought they were both pretty good. And I thought they were yep. light years better than fucking Matthew Broderick and Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the two whitest white bread actors you could possibly find to play fucking African animated characters. Yep. They, I, I don't like it. And I like this version yep, much better. Sure. John Oliver kind of annoyed me. Uh, I think he's kind of a poor man's Rowan Atkinson. He's doing the exact same lines and trying to do it the exact same way, but worse. Uh, didn't really care for that. Uh, didn't really care for Billy Eichner, or Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa. Again, it just felt like I've seen this before and it was better when it was Nathan Lane. And even then it was annoying. So I, I don't really much care for this. I guess, yeah, those are the big notes that I'll have. I have a few maybe other comments to have, but uh, yeah, tell me why I'm wrong. I was just going to say what's really quite funny is I thought John Oliver was a good substitution for Rowan Atkinson. Um, <laughs> we disagree on everything he, in this film. <laughs> I thought he did a fine job. I thought he did great. There was only a few times that I actually found myself like 
audibly laughing like a ha or something. And it was all lines Seth Rogen said. It was just some improvised lines that Seth Rogen tossed in there. And I was like, oh, that's funny because it was a difference. It was a few changes from the script and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, OK, this is interesting. Perhaps I am saying his name wrong. The actual standout performance for me was John Connie as Rafiki. He has maybe six lines of dialogue and he is fucking fantastic. I was like, I remember Rafiki playing a much larger role. Having him speak less and the dialogue he did speak made the words he said have that much more of an impact. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's like f- fucking awesome. Um, I actually am not a very big Seth Rogen fan. I found him in this movie to just be very annoying. He's not a voice actor and that comes through. He's just being Seth Rogen. He's not like really being a voice actor in this he's movie. He's Seth Rogen. I didn't care for Billy Eichner in this. I don't necessarily say he's not that I don't care for him at all. I actually have no base reference for him. But again, like you said, I just feel they didn't have the chemistry of I can't believe I'm saying the chemistry of Timon and Pumbaa from a 90s cartoon. But that is like really how I felt <laughs> about it. Um, I mean, what, what am I going to say about Beyonce? Beyonce is amazingly talented. He's got a beautiful singing voice. Uh, there is nothing Donald Glover can't do. Um, the, if anybody hated him and if they said it's like, oh, because he's too talented and I hate him for it, you'd be like, yeah, all right, I get it. There's nothing that man can't do. He's unbelievably talented and I love him. So I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Have we not talked about it's just James Earl Jones twice? I mean, that was, I thought that was actually a little smart tie in. Yeah, I didn't mention it. I thought, I mean, he's great in both versions. I, I don't really have a note to make. He's amazing. He's no, great. And it's, it is actually something I'd read that apparently John Favreau had made a comment of, like, he liked that in this version of the film, James Earl Jones is older. Is like, he sounds like a king who's, like, on his way out. Like, he is really here to replace. Like, he, he's, his son is, he's telling his son what to do because he knows his son is setting. Ooh. Puns. Other than that, I thought this was a <laughs> soulless, heartless cash grab that made me feel nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that. really what I took away from this. It, for the most part, looked fantastic, with the exception of the rhinoceros. Any animal that was large and gray or darker looked like shit. I was going to say, Bobby, you uh, you had said that you can't can't believe you're talking about the chemistry between two animated characters. They made like two, I think, sequels to The Lion King based entirely off of Timon and Pumbaa, and made a cartoon off of them. Like <laughs> that's how much Timon and Pumbaa were a thing. There, there is, there is two sequels. One of them, Simba's Pride, I believe they feature in, but it's not about them. Okay. The other one, Lion King One and a Half, yeah. is about them. Yeah. And then they had their own TV yeah, yeah. show. Yes. I will say, the Circle of Life was rad. Again, that whole bit at the beginning, it still hit me just as hard, even though it wasn't the animated version. I guess this is an animated version. Um, they didn't do the animal pyri- pyramid. And I just can't wait to be king. I'm just saying. They didn't do the whole thing. They didn't do anything and I just can't wait to I be know. king. I know. It was just them running around a water They didn't hole. do fucking anything. Be in prepared. That. That's a crime. Someone needs to go to jail. I don't know who it is, but the fact that that song is not in the movie and what they do give us is terrible. I, I, I did kind it's of terrible. chuckle that it's like a spoken word rendition of the song. It's With the like two lines, not even the whole thing. It's just chopped it straight down. I did some reading on that. Um, and one is, as Sean said, Nazis. They were like, well, we probably shouldn't do that a second time. Don't do the Nazi part. You could still sing the song. I honestly think, and this will maybe transition it into me just talking generally about this. Um, they took it out because it doesn't fucking fit in this movie. I feel like it barely fit in the 94 version. I said previously, I didn't care for the songs. I know you love the song, Rob. 
out of context, it's fine, I guess. But I feel like, especially in this movie, which is so subtle, and I know I have seen reviews where people have said they're trying to make it so realistic that the animals can't even act. You know, there's no performances. Um, They're just cats, and cats don't act. I thought it was subtle. Like, I took it as subtle, and I really loved it. Because it, 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 it's film acting. It's not voice acting. Because of that, they can't do big musical numbers. Like, it just doesn't translate to the characters. And I feel like it just it feels out of place to have this Chewyatel Igeophore character just go into the be prepared oh, yeah. song. I still don't care. I wanted it. It doesn't fit the tone <laughs> of this movie. I agree. I wanted it. I I think they shouldn't have had any songs. I understand that from a production perspective from, you know. If you're getting Beyonce in your film. The Lion King soundtrack sold a shit ton of fucking copies. People love this music. I'm the odd man out who doesn't love it. You have to do the songs in the movie. I just feel like they shouldn't have. I Like, it would have been a better movie. The movie is built as if it doesn't have songs because the songs are weird and when they happen, the movie just kind of stops. They barely show the characters singing. Mostly it's a montage of animals running, like in profile on a wide angle lens while someone sings. Yeah. It's just weird. It's like yeah. you're watching a nature documentary where they're like, and now here's shots of lions at the Elton John's. Can you feel the love? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it has nothing to do with what you're that would watching. That pretty funny. <laughs> but, I imagine uh... <laughs> them just like wheeling him in on a piano in the safari. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a card from Rinda. <laughs> uh, I like the line where Seth Rogen said that uh, uh, Simba grew 400 pounds over the course of that song. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I like that bit. That was a good one. Honestly, to me, this movie was an intense drama full of pathos that they kept ruining with fucking songs and Seth Rogen. Um, I fucking loved everything that wasn't songs and Seth Rogen. Like, it's just like all of the Scar, Mufasa, <laughs> Simba shit just played so strong for me. The Rafiki speeches, all of that. I had I had fucking shivers, man. I liked the exact opposite things that you liked. <laughs> um, my wife had watched it with me, too, because she was curious. And for her, she said what kind of flew flat about the film was that she said as a child you didn't want disney to reflect life you wanted your life to reflect disney and that was the draw in these big cartoons was that they weren't realistic everything was larger than life and that was as a child the reality you wanted to live in so for her she said this film kind of missed that note by just making everything look photorealistic oh yeah no i don't think this film hits that note at all no i don't i don't think it's a kid's film <laughs> i think it's a fucking tragic drama about chuyatel ichiafor fucking murdering his brother and i loved it i i was at this the part of the film where simba decides to go back to pride rock right and I saw the runtime, I paused it, and I was like, wait, how much is left in this film? And there was like 30 minutes left in the film. And I was like, there can't be 30 minutes left. They go to Pride Rock, they fight Scar, the end, right? And I was like, what is happening? Is there like a heist? Did they rewrite the third act? What's going on? Do they have to sneak in or something? No, it's literally 20 minutes of credits. <laughs> there is 20 plus minutes of credits because there's so many people working on this thing. I was like, holy crap. There's a lot of artists. There's a lot of CGI artists to credit. Yeah. I liked the bit where uh, Rafiki grabs his uh, uh, his stick out of that thing. And I was like, hey, is that his beating <laughs> stick? <laughs> and then he pops in and grabs the beating stick. 
I loved it. He takes it out and he says, hello, old friend, as if he's fucking John Wick coming out of retirement. It was amazing. I, right? <laughs> it blew me yeah. away. Oh, I, I honestly audibly laughed when uh, Beyonce said uh, lion's attack. For me, it was the save the king moment from the three musketeers. Avengers assemble. Yeah. What should she have said? Lion's king? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she should have. She should have. Um, there was a moment, uh, and I, I, I honestly was, I was so panicked, uh, and so shocked, uh, that I, I forgot how the song Can You Feel the Love Tonight works, because Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen start singing it as they do, Timota Pupa starts singing it, I was like, holy fuck, holy fuck, are they gonna make Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen sing Can You Feel the Love Tonight, the whole thing? And I was like, did you put Beyonce in your movie and you're not getting her to sing Can You Feel the Love Tonight? (laughs) (laughs) And then, thank God, it was like, Donna Glover, Beyonce singing it, thank God. But I was like, I was having a bit of a, like, extreme panic attack right then and there. That would have been the fun choice they could have ever done has gotten them not to sing it that's funny we like we enjoyed every the exact opposite things exact opposite uh to me as i was watching it i didn't see a purpose to it i said this is the original but they just wanted to make 1.6 billion dollars i honestly see it as a massive artistic achievement in its own right (laughs) i i mean i liked scar the cgi he looked like a sickly lion like it was great my only note was i was trying to figure out was he always named Scar? No. He was bullied as a child because yeah. he got a scar yeah. and then becomes a Nazi. That is the plot of this movie. It's it's dark as fuck. So they don't say his name because I was like, well, his brother calls him Scar. Everyone calls him Scar. I was like, but is that just because his brother like punched him in the face and was like, your name's Scar now? And then left. <laughs> yeah. Mufasa clearly has been bullying him his entire life. Uh, the last life. thing I will say is that one of the worst things they did was deciding to put, can you feel the love tonight in the middle of the day? It should have been, can you feel the love today? And I'm just going to say that I did not give a fuck because I don't give a fuck about the song. Like, who the fuck cares? It's just, it's an, and now here's Elton John again. Go to the bathroom. the piano. <laughs> we'll be back in two minutes. <laughs> like, I don't like the songs in this movie, so I don't care when they Getting set Getting to them. my ranking. After watching the 2019 version of The Lion King, all I could think about was how much I wanted to watch the animated version of The Lion King. And so I immediately after watching it, put on the 1994 version, uh, and I got about two songs in. It was at the end of Just Can't Wait to Be King. And uh, the 2019 version actually made me actively dislike the original animated version of The Lion King. Uh, so much so that uh, I have decided to put the 2019 version at the bottom of my list, because any movie that ruins the original Lion King for me does not oh, do, deserve Jesus to be Christ. anywhere. Wow. Yep. All right. Interesting approach. Bob, what did you say? I would maybe put this above the Avatar movies, like number 30, 31. It uh, was kind of on that level for me, where it was like, this is technically sufficient, but very soulless. Sushad. I am really curious. All right. <sighs> are you guys ready I'm for so it? I'm so curious. Are you, gonna, are you ready for it? Are you ready for... Top five? Top five? I'm putting this at number six. Oh. Six. I thought it might have cracked the top five. Almost. That's pretty fucking close. I'm putting this right below Return to Oz and then above The Great Muppet Caper. Yep. I genuinely love this movie. 
Maybe I'm the only person in the world other than John Favreau who loved this movie, but <laughs> hey, that's two of us. I uh, All right? I made a note. I was like, what did John Favreau make immediately after this? Which was what was his chef to cleanse his palate after making this film? I didn't I didn't look though. Yeah, the Mandalorian with Dave Filoni. Yeah. Yeah. See, there you go. All right. Um that's it, right? We're done. We thought we made it through that harrowing hellscape. What are we going to watch next week? Well, I'm the one who knows because I get to pick. Yeah, so right. I'm going to tell you, it? audience, next week, you can tune in to either a very special episode about High School Musical. It's coming, <laughs> but it's probably not next week. I'm just going to break it to you. Uh, instead, next week is going to be our Oscar special. <gasps> I want to do the Banshees of Sharon. From what I've been told, I have no reason to not like this film. I very much do want to watch it, so I'm interested to see like how this episode plays out. We need something to end this episode, guys, so that I can stop recording. What are we going to do at the end? We've talked about too many things and my brain is fried. I don't even have a funny idea. Do tune in next week to the podcast where tennis shoes, but you are Elton John with your piano on the safari. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Okay. Tune in next week. The Power Camelton Shoes. Cow Power Chaos. Water Shoes. That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at Podwar. That's at P O D W O R E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. I just saw the title of this episode. It's Fuck Rob. Normally it's the title of the movie that we're watching, but you called it Fuck Rob. <laughs> I thought it was the most accurate description of what we're going through today. Yeah, like that's no, episode no. like like episode thirty six of one thousand eight hundred eight. Colon, fuck Rob. Fuck Rob.